morning. This is a little different. It's funny because I'm up here all the time, but it looks different from over here than it does over there. So um, as, as they mentioned, my name's David. I'm normally at the keyboards and the worship director here, but um, whether you are here in person or joining us online, we're glad you're with us. Uh, we're going to conclude this uh, series on conquering giants. So before we do, let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for your sense of humor and for finding me to preach on failure. Uh, I get it, God. You're funny, God. Amen. Um, the key verse in this, uh, in this series has been Romans 8.31, and it's in the top of your notes there. Would you read it with me? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Say it again. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Failure is a giant that every single one of us will face in our lifetime, especially if you're me. Um, Good grief. It is no wonder that God, in his, uh, in his funny sense of humor, decided to have me preach on this topic this week. Um, I, guess, <laughs> I guess you could say I'm a bit of an expert. Um, but hear this. If you are not prepared for failure, it's going to take you down, and it's going to keep you down. Um, and if it keeps us down, it brings discouragement and despair and depression and doubt and dis- disillusionment. Um, but the good news is that with God's help, uh, we can grow through our failure. Winston Churchill said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. Pretty smart guy. Um, here's the deal, guys. In God's eyes, failure is not final. Failure can be a starting point. can be a new beginning. If you're dealing with failure, maybe it goes back 20 years. Maybe it goes back, you know, 20 days. Maybe it goes back 20 minutes. Um, My desire today is to help you find hope in that. Before we dive in, uh, take a look at this video.
crazy, huh? See, each of those people uh, were labeled a failure at some point in their life, and they pressed on, and they learned from their failure, and they became successes. And it was partly because of their failure. Here are two more that, that uh, weren't shown in that video. Um, I actually attended a memorial service many years ago. Um, it was this great Christian lady and um, a good family friend of hers. I think his name was John. He was singing in a quartet. And they were going to sing this song called, uh, if any of you know the, the old song, View That Holy City. So it was, uh, it's a song about someday, someday we're going to sing and never get tired. We're going to feast on milk and honey. We're going we're to meet our love in Jesus. And um, the departed, her name was, was Clarice. Um, she used to call this guy John, apparently, a little stinker. That was kind of her, her nickname for him. So John was going to introduce this song, and he gets up there, and here's how it went. And I'm kind of going off memory here. Uh, he said, uh, hi, my name's John. We're going to sing this song called View That Holy City. And it's about how someday we're going to get to view that holy city and, and sing and never be tired and feast on milk and honey and meet our love in Jesus. But stinky old Clarice, she's singing it today. Stinky old Clarice. Okay, now, here's, here's, the, here's the real kicker. She's laying there in an open casket. Stinky old Clarice. And the guy's name wasn't John, it was David. One of my favorite moments. Okay, so here's another one. He was a leader who was charismatic. He was really well-liked. He was a well-liked politician, if you can imagine that, right? What an oxymoron. Um, he got off to a great start, and then he had an embarrassing moral failure, and it went public, and he got in trouble, and he tried to cover it up, and he nearly lost his job and his social status. In the end, he rebounded, and he made a huge comeback. Anyone have a guess? King David. Not, not actual photo. <laughs> King David was the writer of most of the Psalms. He is listed, um, and actually I've listed in, in your notes a bunch of David's failures. I couldn't fit all of mine in four-point font, so I decided to go with David's. Um, anyway, the Bible says that David was Israel's greatest king. And it says that David was a man after God's own heart. See, he wanted to please God in everything that he did. But David was also a man of catastrophic failures. 2 Samuel 11 through 12 talks about David being in adultery with Bathsheba. Then he does something really smart. He decides to murder her husband Uriah uh, to cover it up. And that led to incredible family drama. We'll get into some of that later. But then there's his son's rebellion in verse 15 through 18. This is David's darkest hour. His son is trying to take over his kingdom. So at the end of it, David is found retreating out of Israel. David's an adulterer, a murderer. Uh, he has one child that has been raped, one that has been murdered. Another one is trying to kill him, and he was a failed king. And in the end of chapter 18, he's walking out of Jerusalem in disgrace and barefoot. And in those days, that was the ultimate sign of failure, to be barefoot. So it was bad. 
I doubt any of us have ever failed that or faced that much failure at one time. So David faced some really major failures. Can, can you imagine? Just think about it today. The feeding frenzy, if one of today's politicians was guilty of the same thing as David. I mean, it'd be 24-7 on every news network, and people would want blood, right? This was a bad time for him. Okay, whatever failures we face, failure hurts for all of us. Um, if you've suffered the pain of failure, some of us dealing right now with, uh, with a failed marriage, uh, failure hurts. Some of us are facing the reality that our business isn't going as we planned. Maybe you just recently lost your job. Um, and kind of along with that, your identity. Failure hurts. Some of us are failing in school. We feel like we can't turn it around. Failure hurts. Maybe our relationship isn't going as well as we'd like, and we kind of see the end of the road. Failure hurts. Maybe when it comes to kids, it's not going exactly the way you expected. Maybe your weight isn't what you'd like it to be. Maybe your health isn't exactly what you'd like it to be. Your lifestyle isn't where it should be. Failure hurts. Maybe for some of us, we feel like we're falling um, into despair and, and falling out of relationship with God. Maybe we're wondering, you know, can I get back on track? Can I start over? Is it too late? Failure hurts. So the good news is failure is also temporary. Failure is temporary. Think about that video. All of those failures. Um, even King David, major failure. But it was temporary because God says we can begin again. So here's the big question. When we fail, will we give up or will we grow up? Will we give up on our relationship with God? Or here's one. Will we blame God? <laughs> will we give up on a relationship with other Christians? Or will we grow in our relationship with God and grow through our failures with our Christian brothers and sisters? See, David decided he wasn't going to give up. In 2 Samuel 22.2, David began to turn the corner on his failure. And here's, here's what it says. It says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior, my God, is my rock, in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. He is my refuge, my Savior, the one who saves me from violence. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. So how did David make the turnaround? How can we overcome this giant of failure? We can't keep the giant of failure away. We live in a fallen world. The Bible is clear on that. We're clear about that here. Failure is going to come. So, how do we conquer it? How do we move forward with God? And the first step is drawn from the life of David, more specifically from the Psalms that he wrote during his times of failure. Number one is that we deal with the emotions of our failure. No matter how strong or mature we are, whenever we fail at something, anything, it hurts. There are these emotions tied up in it, and that's natural. We're, we're human, right? When a relationship fails... We're hurt, not just because we wonder why it happened or if it was the right relationship. It hurts regardless. But when we fail our career, it hurts. When we, when we make the same mistake over and over and over, like I do, it hurts every single time. I don't think that 
there's any way to argue with the fact that the closer our identity is to what we fail at, the more it hurts. So sometimes the ultimate hurt is when we fail in our career. And for guys, that's particularly true. And don't get me wrong, it's also true for women. But there's something about guys. We, we let our identity get tied up in our career. It's a lot of who we are. It's much of our self-worth. So when we fail at a job or we fail at a business or we get fired, it hurts because it hurts our identity. Anyone ever been laid off or, or fired? That's it. You guys are doing well. Um, it sucks. I was laid off 10 years ago, and I was out of work for about nine months. And I went into a deep depression, you guys. Um, I felt kind of worthless, and I felt little desire to do anything, and nothing constructive, because my ability to provide for my family had been taken away. It was a huge blow to my ego. I was bruised, and I was defeated, and I was really hurt. It's the same with relationships. Relational pain hurts. When we, when we put 100% of ourselves into a relationship, we're doing it right. When that fails, when it ends, man, it's, it's brutal. And we have to learn how to deal with those emotions because otherwise they'll keep us down. Satan wants to keep us down, right? And God desires to help us up. So we must learn to face them. We have to confront them. We have to um, understand and realize the need and acknowledge that what we're facing is real because if we don't we tap out and we never get back in the ring look at David's emotions in the middle of his failures in Psalm 3 which was written while David was fleeing from his son who was trying to kill him Psalm 3 reads oh Lord I have so many enemies so many are against me so many are saying God will never rescue him have you ever been at the point where failure seems so great that you think you're beyond God's help Ever been there? Those feelings are a natural consequence of failure. Um, psychologists recently have found that there are five emotional phases to dealing with failure. So the first one is we feel shock. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe we lost. I can't believe that I failed at that. Then that leads to fear. What's going to happen next? Are we going to be able to recover? I mean, there's tremendous anxiety. Then that leads to anger. We get mad at ourselves and we play the blame game. It was their fault. And after that comes shame. I hope nobody finds out. How will I face the people that love me? And then if we're not careful, that will take us to the final step, which is despair. And we have to avoid despair. We must avoid it. The Bible gives instruction on how to deal with despair. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 Verse 13 says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. See, the big problem comes when we experience these emotions and we refuse to move forward. We get stuck. We're kind of paralyzed by our failure. We're paralyzed in our relationships. We're, we're paralyzed in our connection with God. We're paralyzed in our lives. Well, what if when we fail, we say to ourselves, this is not final. We're not there yet. And instead, we focus on the promise of tomorrow. What if we focus on God rather than focusing on our failure? What if we look forward to the promise of grace and forgiveness and hope? 
Let me share two biblical keys on how to deal with these emotions when you move forward. The first is we have, we, we need to have encouraging people around us to help pull us up. Did you hear that? Okay, so we need others to help pull us up. Listen, this is why God created the church. So we can come together as a family. Folks, he knew we would need it. We come together and we worship and we're inspired and we study the scriptures and we're both challenged and encouraged and we surround ourselves with people who are going to pray for us. So commit to a church. I I like this one. But say, I'm going to be part of a body. Commit to a connect group. Find community and relationship. One of the first things that people do when they go through failure is they pull away from the church. The very thing that God created to help heal them. It's silly. Around here, we offer a partnership class once a quarter. As a matter of fact, we have one today. You don't have to today, but at some point, take that step. It's a way of saying, we're going to commit. We're going to commit to being the type of people that pray for one another and that love one another and that care for one another in community, and we stick together when things go sideways in life. We all need a church like that. We all need people around us that can help us find the way. Okay, the show Cheers got that, right? There was community, there was support, there was relationship, there was friendship. And if they could find it in cheers, why shouldn't we be able to find it in the church for crying out loud? Okay, then the second thing is you go to God with your failures. Sometimes we are so afraid to go to God and say, God, I'm in shock. God, I'm angry. God, I'm afraid. Sometimes we're even angry at God. Or we don't want to come clean, but here's the little secret. He knows, right? He already knows. His word says that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Or for some of us, the number of hairs that used to be on our head. But anyway, regardless. Yeah, anyway, um, you're not fooling him. His word also tells us that he will pull us up. He will help us up. Why would he do that, though? It's because he understands what we're going through. We started this series back on Easter. That's the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that we've learned throughout this series is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power God gives us to face the giants in our lives. It's tremendous power. Jesus, who came back from the dead also experienced life as we experience it. Jesus was human, just as we're human. So he gets it, folks. He walked a mile in our shoes. Actually, he walked thousands of miles, but he gets it. He understands. Look at what he says in in Hebrews 4. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Amen? 
He had to deal with human emotion, and so must, me, so, so must we. Okay, so we deal with the emotions of failure. The second step, much like what I just talked about, is that we draw close to God in the midst of our failure. We ask Him to pull us up. In fact, God loves to pull us up when we fall flat on our face. He says, I'll be there, just as any good parent when a child falls. God doesn't desert us when we fail. Sometimes we perceive it that way, but that's on us, really. In reality, God sees failure as an opportunity. See, he wants to use our failure to draw us closer to him, like a parent soothing a child with a cut. God didn't cause the failure. We do that all on our own. But God says, whatever it is, I can use that failure to draw you closer to me. Pain brings tremendous learning and growth. The growth curve following a failure is sky high, and there are two possible responses when it comes to failure. We can either push away from God, which is going to cause more despair and depression and discouragement or trouble, or we can pull up toward God and let him draw us close. That's one of the things that we know about David. He faced these major failures, but he never stopped looking up to God. He drew closer to God. In Psalm 51.10, he's just been confronted by the prophet Nathan about his adultery with Bathsheba. And, and here's what he says. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Make me willing to obey you. We have the same choice as David when we fail. Um, we can let it defeat us and keep us from experiencing all that God has for us, or we can let it draw us close to God. Um, I know people that had failures that go back years. And uh, some of them are still living with the, breaking that relationship. And they're breaking the relationship with God and with others. Um, see, that's tragic. They're completely missing the point. Jesus and his sacrifice and God's grace. Listen, failure shouldn't separate us from God. It shouldn't separate us from the church. Again, God wants to use our failure to draw us closer to him. If I could say anything to people still holding on to failure, I would say this. You're not a disappointment to God. God's not disappointed in you. God loves you. He understands you. He may hate that it happened. He may hate that you disobeyed, but he's right there with you, and he says that a future with him is still possible. In fact, he paved the way for a relationship with him through Jesus for all of eternity. And if that isn't proof of not giving up on us ever, I don't know what is. Is there anything that's happened in your life, maybe a, a failure that's preventing you from drawing close to God? Maybe, again, a relationship pain or something ended or maybe you lost your job or you're blaming other people. Maybe you had a moral failure. David's not the only one. Maybe some recurring sin. Maybe you've let that push you away from God. The challenge is to learn from David's example of how to lean into God during times of failure rather than running away. 
Let failure cause us to rely on his power more than ever before. Believe God's promise that he's going to see you through to the other side. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. It's a great promise. Maybe, incidentally, um, I've had people say, gosh, we wish we could get some of those cool water bottles that the staff has, right? And you can do it too. Here's how you do it. You buy a water bottle and you put a sticker on it. (laughs) Just, Just saying. Okay. So it's a great promise. Maybe you want to memorize that verse this week. Can use it to help you remember to lean into God. Right? Even if he's been running, if, even if you've been running away from God, turn to him. Turn to him and say, you know what, God, like David, make me willing to obey you from this point forward. So draw close to God. During your failure, draw close to him. Then there's step number three. Determine the cause of our failure and learn from it. <laughs> That's a tough one. Every time we fail, we have two choices. We can push the panic button or we can push the pause button. And the choice is up to each of us. Now, sometimes it's okay to push the panic button, right? Um, We're surprised. We're a little caught off guard. We make that mistake and we think, oh my gosh. And it's probably time to panic. That's okay. But if we stay there and we keep pushing that panic button over and over and over, we get stuck. We stop moving forward. We become stale, and it only leads to all the dangerous emotions that keep us separated from God. So sometime along the way, we have to say it's time for some self-evaluation. We have to push the pause button. We need to stop beating ourselves up. We need to start thinking about the future. You guys know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting what? A different result. Exactly. But you know what? It's not... It's not really the definition of insanity. It's kind of the definition of stupidity. Take it from me. Um, We keep doing the same thing over and over. We keep pushing that panic button. Every time the emotions come up, we push the panic button. Every time God prompts us, we push the panic button. We keep going back to it. We get farther and farther and farther away from God and deeper into despair. Well, stop. Push the pause. Push the pause button. You know what David says in Psalms 38? This is maybe written uh, after the death of Uriah, who was the husband that he killed because of his adultery with Bathsheba. Um, It says, let's see. O Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. See, he said the issue was his guilt. The issue is that he had sinned. That's what happened. David was guilty because he messed up. He'd failed big time and he knew it. He knew he'd messed up. And he knew there were going to be some tough consequences. But through his failure, he turned to God and he said, God, grow me through this. God, teach me through this. And God reminded David that he wasn't through with him. We've all heard the phrase, sometimes you lose, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, right? What if we tweaked it a little bit to say, sometimes you win and sometimes you learn? 
See, as long as we learn for it, God can continue to use our failure. In fact, sometimes failure is a test of our character. It's a test of our relationship with God. It's a test of our identity. So when we press pause and we ask ourselves, what can I learn from this? However we've messed up, don't push the panic button and jump right into guilt and shame and anger and despair. Instead, push the pause button and evaluate what happened. Say, what can I do differently? Focus on yourself, but also focus on your relationship with God. If you just lost a job, or business is going bad, or you're struggling in school, don't keep doing the same thing over and over. Press pause and ask God to reveal what he wants to teach you. Don't be afraid to make those changes. You see, God wants us to take something good out of our failure. Romans 8.28 is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. If you read only the first part, you miss the point. The first part says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together. Okay, so if we just stop there with the words causes everything, we're going to get into some trouble. God didn't cause David's adultery. He doesn't cause everything. David caused his adultery. God didn't cause the murder of Uriah. David did. God doesn't cause everything. We live in a fallen world. But that verse says, God will cause everything to, look at the next two words, work together. How? The rest of the verse is for the good of those who, are, who love him and are called to his purpose. You might be thinking to yourself, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what is your purpose for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, hold that thought, though. We're going to review the first three. To conquer the giant of failure, we have to deal with the emotions. It hurts. The giant of failure steps on us pretty hard. Next, we have to draw close to God instead of letting the giant push us away from God. Then we want to determine the cause. Why did the giant come? And God, what can I learn from it? How can you work your purposes through it? Finally, step four. We decide to follow God's new plan for our life. <laughs> God's new plan. Anybody ever had God change plans on you? Yeah? There are some very dishonest people in here. Okay. It happens a lot. God loves to give new plans. He loves to give revised directions. Read Exodus sometime. The truth is, that most of us have such a deep-seated fear of failing, and we never listen to God's voice, and we completely miss his new plan. It's there. Instead, we fail. We become gun-shy, and we say, oh, not again. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to fail. But here's the deal. Failure is a detour, not a dead end. When it comes to God, as long as we're breathing, there are no dead ends. I want you just for a second, think to yourself about the toughest failure you've ever had. Think for just a few seconds. You got it? Okay, now turn to your neighbor and share it with them. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. That was a joke. 
Okay, guys, even when you made that mistake and we got seriously off the path and outside of God's will, if we turned to God and we repented and we, get, and we said, God, give us a brand new path, God loves to heal hearts. He loves giving fresh starts. God says, let me get you back on path. I promise that with God, there's no failure that's ever permanent. No such thing. God says, I still have a plan for you. You're still alive. I can still move you forward in faith. There is such a thing as godly failure. Weird. Because God didn't cause it, but he can grow us through it. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fail, for the Lord holds them by the hand. David, major failures, but David stayed focused on God. He said, God, from here on out, direct my steps. After all this bad stuff happened, David put his shoes back on. And he went back into Jerusalem. And he began to be the man that God called him to be. Out of a right relationship, he had a son named Solomon. And David handed the kingdom to Solomon. Solomon took the dream that started with David and he rebuilt the temple. And this led actually to the greatest age in Israel's history. Solomon learned from his dad's mistakes. Reagan, learn from my mistakes. Solomon was also the wisest man that ever lived. He wrote in Proverbs. Look what he, he wrote in Proverbs twenty four sixteen: The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. It's a house of cards. In other words, if we push away from God, that one disaster is going to keep us down. But if we draw up close to God, he'll help us back to our feet. So whatever failure you're facing, whether it's marriage or job or finances or parenting, school, it's not final. In the end, it's your story. And your failure does not have to prevent you from being used by God. There's another example that you can study when you get home, maybe. He was a military general. He was chosen uh, as a successor to one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. But he experienced a failure. It was a huge failure. And, and he experienced all these emotions we've been talking about. He went through the shock of fear and anger and blame and shame. And he was ready to give up. And then if we pick up on the story of, of General Joshua, in Joshua 7, he is face down on the ground. And here's what the Lord says to Joshua. He says, you're a great leader. Even though you're a great leader, he says, why are you laying on your face like this? Get up. And that's the challenge to you today, is to get up. Why are we living on our face like this? Why are we letting something that happened 15 years ago keep us on the ground? God has a plan for you. God still wants to use you. So repent of that sin. Get up. Move forward. God is not through with you yet. He's more interested in where you're going than where you've been. God says, get up. Say yes to God's forgiveness, which covers, by the way, our past, our present, and our future. When God saves you, he saves all of you, what you used to be, who you are now, and who you could become. 
So say yes. Say yes, I'll follow you. I'll lean on you. I'll get back up. So we've been talking a lot about David in these, in these last few weeks. But the real story, in, in, in the story, the, the real hero is not David. It's God. <laughs> it's God get, that, that gave David the power to conquer his giant of Goliath. Um, as we've talked about these conquering giants in, in this series, we've seen that God gives us power to conquer giants of fear and finances and illness. And uh, we've talked this morning about failure. You know the ultimate failure? Is failing to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the ultimate failure, guys. Don't let that happen to you. If you haven't said yes to God, do that this morning. Conquer the giant of salvation. Say yes to Jesus. You can find Brent or Elizabeth or myself, any of the people on staff. We're, we're happy to, to speak with you about that. Um, say yes to Jesus. Say yes to moving forward. Look for his new plan for your life. Each week we uh, put these green cards, the connect cards in your notes. And hi. We put last week's connect cards in there for him. Oh, that's awesome. So go with that. Well, here's what the connect cards should say. They should say, okay, in response to this message, I'm either going to memorize Deuteronomy 31.6 or I'm going to turn my failure over to God and allow it to draw me closer to him. I'm going to attend the Silver Creek Partnership class today or plan to attend the next one or I'm going to join a connect group. Any of those things are great ways to move forward with God. Let's pray. Father God, we have all faced the pain of failure. Failure hurts. We pray you'll use our failures to help us learn and, and draw closer to you. Help us to discover the new path you have for each of us. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, and for helping us to get back up when we fail. Thank you for helping us to conquer these giants. We commit all that we are to you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.